0: The Hero's Journey podcast is filled with an abundance of spoilers. If you haven't read this week's book, I recommend you do so, as it will certainly help you follow along. Although, if you're only interested in hearing our take on this story, listen on.
1: The idea that the passage of the Magical Threshold is a transit into a sphere of rebirth is symbolized in the worldwide womb image of the belly of the whale. The hero, instead of conquering or consolating the power of the threshold, is swallowed into the unknown and would have appeared to die. Thank you for joining us this week on our Hero's Guide to the Belly of the Whale. We are joined by Stephen of the fanatology books podcast you may have heard of him
2: hey guys glad happy to be on excited to uh talk some hero's journey we on our channel we cover a lot of just specific books so this is fun to really kind of break down the structure of the story the structure of our of our heroes right so i'm excited i have i have an example to share with you it sounds like you do as well so let's do it
1: all right alex you want to start us off
3: yeah sure um for, for this episode, more than other episodes, we're going to do spoilers from various books. So uh, if you don't want to have up to the Dragon Reborn and the Wheel of Time spoiled, I'm going to put time codes down in the show notes so you can skip ahead. So for my belly of the whale, I'm going to talk about uh, Rand's belly of the whale in the entire Wheel of Time. I think this happens when Rand is in the Stone of Tear and grabs Calendar for the first time. So in this scene, we haven't really followed Rand throughout this whole book, but now he's coming face to face with two of the forsaken. And he's using some more tactics than he has in the past. He's not just going for the sword when all is in the room with him. He's fighting and taking control of that situation, not giving his opponent the opportunity to grab the sword from him. And he does eventually go for the sword. And this symbolizes his acceptance that he is the Dragon Reborn, when he's able to grab the sword, he's fulfilling a prophecy that this is the sign that he personally needs to have to accept that he's a Dragon Reborn. And immediately following this, he kills Baalzaman, who is, we find out, Shamael. And again, this is something that's happened to him before. He's facing a similar danger, but he's going beyond that into the unknown fully now killing Baalzaman sets up, the Dark One is still a greater power to face. And Rand is fully accepting that he is a Dragon Reborn and must continue on his quest to face the Dark One.
0: Alex, for this, uh, it's rather fresh in my mind. And uh, I remember during this particular fight scene, he you, you've kind of posited that he's conscious of the fact that his enemy could take the sword from him, which I think is something that Moraine, the Aes Sedai, mentions when he's not around. And I kind of viewed the beginning of this fight more as the fact that he wasn't ready to accept it, which you delved into a little bit later. Do you think that his forethought on this battle plan, rather than just being instinctual, changes the nature of it? The whole fight seems very instinctual to me. Like He's just acting moment by moment and doing what he thinks is right. Do you think, as a belly of the whale moment, it loses anything if it's highly premeditated?
3: Uh, No, not really. Um, I think you're right. He is acting instinctually, but he's not just charging headfirst into this. And Rand, in the eye of the world, if he had seen the sword there and wanted to prove to himself that he is or isn't the Dragon Reborn, he would have just gone straight for it. But Rand in the Dragon Reborn here sees Baal in the room with him and doesn't do that. He actually engages him instead of going head first into this. So he's displaying some tactics, definitely just using instincts here a little bit, but I, I see this again as a little bit of a change.
0: Okay.
2: One of the interesting things about this book is throughout the entirety of the Dragon Reborn, you don't see Rand's viewpoint hardly at all. He's really very much in the background. He is journeying towards Tyr as the other characters are kind of doing their stuff. And then he shows up at the end in full force. And like you say, takes the sword and and kind of proclaims himself the Dragon Reborn. And I think that time where you don't see him, where he's off screen, that's also kind of his belly of the whale time because he's coming to terms with his fate and he's kind of working through this madness as well that's starting to grip his mind. And like you said afterwards, it's it's never the same for him because now he's this lord and then at the beginning of the Shadow Rising, he's advising these other politicians on what to do and how to rule kingdoms. And he's never again the shepherd farm boy.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that the transition of Rand from crossing the threshold to belly of the whale is in the Dragon Reborn, both of those things. And it, because we don't follow his viewpoint as, as much as in the first two books, it's hard to pin down you know, one specific point, except for when he does grab the sword, because like we've already said, it's fulfilling part of the prophecies. And that is what Rand has picked with his journey. He's dedicating himself to this. If this prophecy that he can fulfill comes true, then he's accepting his role entirely.
1: I think what Steven really covered there that also kind of makes it a great example for me is that it really does show him burning away the last vestiges of the farm boy that we meet at the beginning of the series.
0: That's interesting, Jack, because the the question I was just going to ask kind of open-ended to anyone is if we feel that his claiming of the title of Dragon Reborn and the changes that he has to exemplify to these other lords and as the dragon reborn is lessened any by the close proximity of his childhood friends and love interest who still remember him as a majority as Rand Althor and not as the dragon reborn. And we get to see that insight into their minds where they talk about, Oh, not Rand, not Rand from the two rivers. Is that take anything away from the fact that he hasn't completely diverged himself or is that just because it's in the impression of other people that it's not as important
2: i don't think it takes anything away and in fact in subsequent books and events you see him start to distance himself from even his childhood friends who are not around him quite as much and they go off and kind of make their own names for themselves I, i do think it's interesting because as he progresses like this is not the end for him even when he becomes dragon reborn there's still a further metamorphosis that he makes throughout the books. Mm-hmm. And I guess we, we don't want to do spoilers too far into the series, but there are some big events that happen that really change changed the outlook on the world and in the way that he, his emotional state, his mental state, you know, continues to deteriorate with this madness, et cetera. And then I think another event that happens, right. Um, if you know the, the, at the end of the first Sanderson book, at the end of the gathering storm, there is a really nice event that happens that also kind of flips the switch as well. And I, I don't know if you can have multiple belly of the whale moments in one plot line, but this is definitely like a continual road of trials for Rand.
3: With a series this long, I think there are probably multiple points where you could say, this is the belly of the whale and make the argument.
0: So, I, Well, we I, do. We do with every book. Like, uh, We do that every week that we talk about a sequel. We talk about an isolated belly of the whale in that sequel. But when you view especially elongated series as a whole, there's definitely going to be other instances of this is the major belly of the will for the full story, but that doesn't mean the author isn't trying to hit some of these highlighted points in an individual novel.
2: Yes. The Wheel of Time is awesome. Great example. I'm going to talk some Stormlight Archives, specifically the Kaladin Stormblessed plotline. So this is just going to be Way of Kings spoilers. If you're uh, sensitive to that, might want to,
0: be wary. And you, but should, Kaladin... be. <laughs> you should be because it's an awesome book.
2: <laughs> yeah, you don't want this one spoiled for sure. But uh so so Kaladin's storyline, he has I think three distinct portions to his belly of the whale sequence. And it's actually most of the first book. You get it mostly through flashbacks. And this book is really rough on him. He he has a pretty rough path to walk. In fact, I was watching one of Sanderson's live streams that he's doing where he was breaking down the Way of Kings Leatherbound Kickstarter they're starting. And they were talking about, uh, I think, like vegan versions of the book that were no animal cruelty. And one of the guys on the live stream made a joke that all of his books have a lot of cruelty because of all the mean stuff he does to Kaladin. So that's (laughs) a little bit of a (laughs) primer for this plot. Because Kaladin's, yeah, Kaladin has it rough, man. So he goes through, he starts off as a young kid, Fairly privileged, kind of middle class, and he's a surgeon's apprentice. His father's a surgeon, and his first step into the belly of the whale is when he leaves Hearthstone, which is his city name, to go become a soldier. And he realizes that he's pretty good at being a soldier, but at the same time, he's unable to protect the people that he really cares about. And his brother's his little brother, who is also cons- conscripted into the army, is killed, and that takes a toll on him. He's betrayed kind of skipping over some plot points, but he's betrayed and then he becomes a slave. And as a slave, he tries to lead multiple escape attempts and everyone is thwarted and his friends are again killed. And he sinks deeper into this depression because he's unable to protect those that he's trying to protect. And then after his time as a slave, he becomes a different type of slave on a bridge crew in this very unique circumstance, this unique setting where he's part of a war. He's running bridges across cross these chasms that are part of the theater of the war. And once again, he's unable to, he's a natural leader, but he's unable to protect everyone that he wants to. And I think the real turning point for him comes when he goes to what they call the honor chasm, where he's about to commit suicide basically because he's sunk so low and he just can't handle not being able to protect the people that he loves. And he gets this awakening that, you hey, know, he's been protected. And even though bad things happen to people, And he can't stop everything. He can protect people around him and use his powers and abilities, which he has several to overcome and help people, you know, do the best that they can under the circumstances of life. And I think that's when he starts to emerge and then you see him become a leader and he speaks the ideals of the Knights radiant and gains his magic powers and so on and continues along his journey. So he has a very extensive belly of the whale moment. And when he emerges, he's totally changed from the surgeon that he was because now He's a soldier, and he's pretty good at, at fighting and, and injuring people. But at the same time, he's able to protect those that he loves. And that kind of becomes his calling card going forward. So that's Kaladin.
3: Um, is this the scene in the honor chasm? Is that where Syl starts to make a more pronounced appearance? Or is is that later? She, earlier? she comes back with the leaf.
2: Yeah, she comes back with the poisonous leaf, and she gives it to him like, hey, you wanted this thing because... She doesn't know what it is because she's still kind of like an infantile, you know, mind. Yeah, but she yeah. brings him, yeah, she brings him the leaf, and that's when he realizes that, you know, life's not really quite as bad as he's making it.
1: Uh, so what I'm curious about because I I agree with you that this is definitely Kaladin's long transformation into taking his first steps to the man he's going to become. But he talks about the person that he is when he's at the edge of that chasm later on as sort of the wretch that continues to haunt him. How does that, do you think, how do you think bringing sort of that constant fear of his kind of affects it? Yeah, I'm saying this badly. How does that constant fear of relapsing into who he was before affect him as he continues on his way?
2: Well, you definitely see it because Kaladin has pretty severe depression. I would say in this series, Sanderson has, different mental health issues haunt a lot of the characters and Kaladin has what I would call clinical depression and, and probably some PTSD from events that have happened to him. So I think you see it in that way where even though there are several moments throughout the series where he could really kind of step up and take it to the next level because he has all the tools it would take to be a leader of men, et cetera, that he needs to become eventually. And I hope he makes it there by the end of the series. But there are times where he's about to, but he doesn't quite, he's not able to because of some of these these demons that continue to haunt him.
0: Oftentimes we find that the mentor can often be absent during the belly of the whale at least from what I've seen is that the conveniently so. The the mentor who often has abilities and knowledge that are far exceed that of the hero is absent such that the hero can make decisions and grow in their own right do you think his spren at this point in his life is a mentor or is it more just a part of him and in either case how does their interaction kind of affect this belly of the whale moment
2: i think that sill is more of a part of him and evolves along with him. And as far as a mentor, I mean he has a nice interaction with Wit, but I don't I wouldn't say that Wit is necessarily a mentor for him, although that does kind of change his perspective. I think the moment at the end of Way of Kings when Dalinar gives up his sword Oathbringer to buy the bridgeman, that's a big mentor moment for him because he realizes hey, not all the light eyes are evil and there is, you know, kind of some light and hope in the world. But I don't know if Kaladin necessarily has like the classical mentor that you see in other stories.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think Kaladin's mentor is a parent, um, except possibly his father um, in the way of kings. I, I, don't, I, I, I have a hard time picking a specific mentor for Kaladin.
1: Uh, I, I'm blanking on his name, but there's a drill sergeant in Amran's Amarin, army. Uh, that he refers to multiple times as the man who taught him his first kata. God, I'm blanking on so many names. I feel like Zach.
0: Yeah, <laughs> names are irrelevant for good storytelling.
2: Uh yeah. What's the dude's name? I think it starts with a D or something. It's not Dalinar, obviously,
1: but I, it's not. And Drey, he is one of the. Is this pre-slavery uh, or this is the Hammerhands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not. It's not. It's not one of the members C- of his team. Cora?
0: Corb's the one he gives the shard.
1: Look, this is what the Coppermine is
0: for. Blade and plate are given to Korb.
1: Yeah, but that's that's one of his squad mates, not... According not to according
0: to Coppermine, it says the dude's name is Tux.
1: Sure. <laughs> he, he exists, we just don't remember him, apparently. And Zach, uh, why don't you hit us up with your example? So
0: we we'll me be talking about the first Matrix movie, uh, during which... The titular character Neo uh, has to make the famous choice between the red and the blue pill. And having done so, uh, eventually gets awoken to the real world from the Matrix that he's been living in. And I think it really fits this situation well. Not only does he make the conscious effort to leave the world behind that uh, that he's experienced. He's no longer to wake up in his bed and believe what he wants but he takes the red pill, makes that decision and we showcase a literal birth happening. Uh, the, the rest of the people who've been awoken are typing on a bunch of computers and essentially reawakening him inside this pod that exists in the real world and he breaks out of this pod covered in a bunch of goo looking like a newborn baby. So it's it's a pretty stereotypical rebirth as far as anything goes. His whole preconceived notions of what world is like have been completely shattered. He's shocked and awed from the situation he founds himself in. He even has the, like I said, physical and, and, and um, characteristics of, of a newborn baby. And we showcase that since he's been willing to make this metamorphosis, we go on later and he gains skills and abilities that were inherent to him and then also gain through training. So I think it's a pretty decent slash stereotypical belly of the whale.
3: Yeah, I think this is a pretty good belly of the whale, because like you said, it if, fits if the motif of rebirth excellently. Um, Neo waking up from the pod is one of the more memorable scenes of that movie and definitely shows that he's, uh, he's undergone a change, or willing to undergo this change at least.
1: I mean, we also use Red taking the red pill or the blue pill as common vernacular these days,
0: yeah, it's kind of been ingrained <laughs> to, in talk about, to
1: talk about picking a tra- pay, taking your pick of a transformation. Steven, no up chance up. you've got a no chance you can save us with some brilliant insight.
2: <laughs> well, I embarrassing to admit, but I've never even seen the Matrix trilogy, so <gasps> da. I know, Zach,
0: you're fired. We found our temptress. He's tempting <laughs> us away from the goodness that is the Matrix.
2: Shame um, on me. I was actually looking at this the other day, like it's on Netflix. I was thinking, I, I need to catch up on this. So after this, I'm, I'm going to have to.
1: To close this out, I'm going to be talking about one of my personal favorite examples for the belly of the whale with Darrow's journey in Red Rising. As part of his infiltration of the genetically superior gold Class, he is goes to one of their academies on the planet of Mars, where he is from, after having undergone surgery and his crossing of the threshold to look at look like them and gain their superior physical abilities. And while he thinks he's about to go to the equivalent, what we would think of as the equivalent of a snotty prep school. They arrive, they sit down for a feast, and then everyone wakes up to find themselves paired off in a cell with another student and a single ring of their future house in between them, and they're told that only one of them can walk away alive. And so even though he was already committing himself to this duplicity and his mission to infiltrate gold society this is the moment that he really abandons his ability to go back and says that it is worth killing this person who moments ago he was actually thinking was pretty good as far as golds go because his mission is more important. And he truly, this is the first moment that he kind of gives away everything and throws himself into being the perfect, truly throws himself accepts what being the perfect gold a peerless scarred would mean.
0: Does that result in the death, actual death, or is it just a commitment and then there's some convenience? Oh no, thing? he straight up murders. Okay. I didn't <laughs> know what kind of book this was. If it was like, a, oh no, you just had like an Abraham kind of thing. No, nope, nope. he thing.
1: straight up murders Julian and it ends up. It has lasting consequences. <laughs> One of the few murders of his that actually do have lasting consequences, to be honest. <laughs> so the belly of the whale
2: idea, it has to be voluntary, right? because there's another scene later in the series that I could say maybe could be a belly of the whale because it's similar transformation and it's pretty bad situation for Darrow, but this is the belly of the whale because he's choosing to accept this change. That's going to fundamentally alter who he is. Right.
1: So, well, well, I don't think it has to be voluntary. I think that makes it more powerful from a character development perspective.
0: Uh, is this voluntary, though? Because, I mean, I haven't read it, but... Well, he could have
3: not killed him. Yeah, but then he, case, he, he, would, w- have been he would be killed. So it's, a, it's
0: more of a self-defense... The,
3: the uh, more important thing is a willingness to undergo a change. And before, Darrow hadn't expressed a willingness to kill, and here he is. Okay, I was so, also curious I, if, it was a... his, if
0: it was his first killing
2: yes he
1: we see that he's not necessarily he understands from an intellectual perspective earlier that that might be a consequence of what he does uh but this is his first real step towards violence and the in the scene where they describe it uh i don't have the exact words up in front of me but they they sort of talk about it initially uh as two kids sort of Slapping each other, unsure of what they're meant to be doing, and then something changes within him, and he kill he stops trying to he makes up his mind and commits to killing Julian.
2: And it's also voluntary because previously he'd undergone the transformation to become a gold, right? From the weakling red that he was and all of his past and everything, he says, I'm going to be the guy who infiltrate infiltrates gold society and takes them down. And that's a huge change for his character that he voluntarily takes that on to an extent, I guess.
3: Yeah. Um, so this is a clear point of danger. And I think that this is a really good example of the belly of the whale for two reasons. One is this very clear instance of danger. This is the first time that Darrow is killing someone and It's not the first death in the book, but this is definitely seen as a major event. And this also has this nice exiting the the underground cavern, exiting the belly of the whale into the castle. So that fits really well in the motif.
1: Yeah, they, they, they use lots of comparisons when they discuss the passage as sort of a rebirth for golds in golden society as they take their first steps into being adults, rather than the children that they were. Because gold society is terrible.
0: Yeah. (laughs) If you were
1: curious, even though we're talking about them as strong and superior for those who haven't read the book, they're not the good guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Is is the minor danger the fact that the other guy's fighting back, or is that not even really a contest?
1: Uh, The other guy... It's made more clear later on that Darrow was always intended to win that fight, but the other from our perspective as the reader, we know that this other person has had years of training and actually has some martial skills, and Darrow's just bigger and stronger and, and the well, danger,
2: and- the danger as well is the fact that he's infiltrating. The golds, and he's a red. And so, if he was to be discovered for whatever reason, he would surely be killed.
0: Is that exists throughout the book, or only up to this point? Like later, if they find out he used to be a red, is it dangerous form, or is it only until he finishes this ritual and then he's accepted as a gold, no matter his path?
1: It, it is dangerous throughout the entire time, but this is still the trend This is still his transform part of his transformation into a gold. Mm, okay, right from his surgery transforms him in body and his this is his first real step into this uh, aca- well, I'll keep calling it the academy but that's where he'll become a, where he becomes a gold in spirit
0: okay that's neat i like that
1: that about covers it for this week thank you so much for joining us as we dived a little bit deeper into the belly of the whale uh, and join us next week as we go through the hero's journey in the lions of Al-Rassan. Uh, a special thank you to Steven and Fantology Books podcast for joining us this week. Uh, make sure to check them out at fantologybooks.com. They are pretty great. And as always, don't forget to rate us wherever you're listening to this podcast. It helps us out way more than we can possibly ever state. As always, I have been Jack, not judging you for once.
3: This is Alex.
2: And this is Steven. Thanks for having me on, guys. This has been fun.
0: And I'm zach <laughs> Yay!
1: Oh, thank you. Welcome to our podcast where we just <laughs> offhandedly discuss <laughs> <laughs> cosmere. stream of consciousness
0: cosmere. It's what Alex
1: <laughs> really wants to do at all times.